right. Well, uh, welcome. Good morning. It is good to be with you all this morning. Uh, if last week was your first week here, I'm amazed you showed up. I went like ridiculously long speaking last week. I had to go to apologize to like the nursery workers. I was like, I just need you to know. I'm really sorry. Like that, that was like way longer than we ever go. And my wife was one of those people. So I had to apologize to her too. And you know, anyways, promise we won't go that long this week. Okay. Um, looking forward to opening God's Word with you guys again this morning. Uh, normally, if you're here at River City, normally we just kind of pick a book of the Bible or, or a section of Scripture and just work our way through it because we really want God's Word to be the thing that shapes our time together. But as we uh, start a new year, we just wanted to spend a few short weeks taking a look at our the mission and the vision of River City Church, talking about uh, who we are and what we're all about and where we're going and, and why that matters. And, and really, we want to invite you to be a part of that with us and so, um, and so uh, last week we talked about the first part of our vision, which was growing in the gospel. And we, we studied Ephesians chapter 4, and we saw how the role of leaders is to equip everyone for ministry. And the, the ministry that everyone is, is being equipped for is, is the ministry of speaking the truth about Jesus, speaking the truths of the gospel uh, in love to one another. So Because that's the way that we grow up in Christ. The way that we grow up into maturity is through faith in Jesus. The way we become Christians is through faith in him, but the way that we keep growing up is through faith in him. And so we talked about how at River City, the gospel is central to everything here. The, the gospel is the good news that Jesus left his throne in heaven, that he humbled himself, becoming a man that who lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live on our behalf. And then he died the death that we deserve to die for our sinful rebellion against God. And that he rose from the grave, conquering Satan and sin and death. And now he sits at the right hand of the father, ascended, uh, he is, our, he is our savior and our advocate and our friend. And because of all of that Jesus has done, we have give, been given new life and new purpose and a new identity. And we go from being enemies of God, being his dearly loved adopted children, as Jenny talked about this morning, being his, his friends. And see, and the good news about the gospel we talked about is that it's not just for our salvation. The gospel isn't just the first step on the, in the stairs or the ladder to getting to God or relationship with him. The gospel is the, it's like the hub at the center of the wheel at which everything in our lives must connect. We talked about how 100% of somebody's spiritual growth ultimately happens through repentance and faith in the gospel and the truths about the gospel. And so as we learn to speak the truths of the gospel to one another, that helps us to grow up in our faith in Jesus. And, and as we believe the truth of gospel, what happens is we lay hold of the power that we actually need to overcome sin and to look more and more like Jesus. And so the gospel is the thing that has saved us, but it is also the thing that is saving us and is changing us every day. There's nothing else that's doing. It's just the power of the gospel. And so last week, again, we talked about how the gospel is central to everything that we believe at River City. But but uh, the gospel is also central to everything that we do here at River City. And that brings us to the second part of our vision this morning. We're going to be talking about making disciples. And so with that in mind, let's uh, pray. We'll read our passage this morning as we think about what it means for us to be uh, committed to the mission of making disciples here at River City. So let's pray. King Jesus, thank you that we get to come before you this morning, that we get to gather uh, in your name. God, uh, get to be a people worshiping you and sitting under the authority of your word. And so we're grateful for that. And God, I, I just come this morning, I'm just honest with you, I, I feel tired. <laughs> 
Uh, I feel kind of worn out, and so God, I just really sense my dependence on you this morning and my need for you, and, and that's true every week, King Jesus, but I just feel that this morning, and so God, I just ask that you'd be gracious to empower me by your spirit to speak with truth and power this morning. Um, God, I, I just cannot do that on my own. And so, God, I pray that you that you do that not just uh, for my benefit or something like that, but, God, I pray that you do it for our good and ultimately for your glory, that we might see you as the good king who has pursued us and who is graciously inviting us to join you in the work of pursuing others. And, and so, King Jesus, wherever we are at this morning, we need you. We need you to be shaping us and molding us. We need you to be empowering us to hear and speak and, and all those things in between. And so, God, we ask that you would fill us and that you would empower us. God, we really, really need you. We pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, we're going to be uh, taking a look at Matthew 28, uh, just the last few verses, often a passage referred to as the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew writes here, he says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, somebody's last words, right? They, they can tell you a lot about them. Somebody's last words can tell you a lot about them, about what they think about themselves, about the, what they believe really matters the most in life. Uh, entrepreneur, the uh, circus guy, P.T. Barnum, uh, uh, he's, his, last, his, last, uh, his last words were simply this, how were the receipts today in Madison Square Garden, right? The ever-present businessman. Legendary football coach Vince Lombardi uh, died of cancer in 1972. Uh, in 1970, as he died, Lombardi turned to his wife and he told her, happy birthday, or happy anniversary, I love you. Convicted murderer Thomas J. Grasso uh, used his last words to complain about the meal that he had. He said, uh, I quote, he said, I did not get my SpaghettiOs, I got spaghetti. I want the press to know about this, right? <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci, right? Famous inventor, artist, right? He says his last words, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality that it should have. Nathan Hale, the 21-year-old uh, school teacher turned Revolutionary War spy, his famous last words, he said this, I regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. You see, famous last words are last words they often tell you a lot about someone, about what they really cared about, about what they thought mattered most in this life. And Jesus' words here in Matthew 28, his last words to his disciples, uh, they are like others. Like others, they, they tell us a lot about who he is. But unlike the final last words of many others, Jesus' last words also tell us a lot about who we are. You see, they tell us about our identity and our purpose as his people. And so as we study this morning, what, what I want you to see is that the heart of Jesus' final words is a commission. It's a command with a mission. It's a, a commission that is founded on a proclamation. It's a commission that has a process, and it's a commission that comes with a promise. So the King's Commission... It's a commission, verse 19. It tells us what his, his command is. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
go and make disciples of all nations. And so to make disciples, you, you kind of have to know what one is first, right? In order to make something, you got to know what it is. And uh, I think the most helpful definition of a disciple comes by taking a look at, at our passage this morning, as well as Jesus, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' calling of the first disciples. And his invitation there in Matthew 4 was simple, yet incredibly profound. He talks, he speaks to this, these first uh, men, he says to them, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You see, a disciple of Jesus is much more than someone who simply values Jesus' words or admires his wisdom or appreciates his values. You see, a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows him, someone who, who, is, who has committed themselves to him, who has surrendered themselves to him, who has chosen to follow him. These first disciples, they gave up everything to follow Jesus. And what we see here in our passage in Matthew 28 this morning is that following Jesus is ultimately about worshiping him. See, he's not just a teacher. He's not just a guide. He's not just a wise. Uh, he's not just a, a wise sage. See, Jesus is the King of all things. He's the God of the universe, and so to follow Him begins by worshiping Him. But we see as well in Jesus' words to those fishers, those fishermen early on, that following Him is about ultimately is worshiping Him, and it's about being made into something new by Him. He, he tells them that I'm going to, I will make you into something new. He's making them into fishers of men, so He's being he's changing them, and and we see as well that He's calling them. He's giving them a new identity and a new purpose for the first disciples. He refers to them is that he'll call them, he'll make them fishers of men. In our passage here in Matthew 28, we see he calls the disciples to go therefore and make more disciples. You see, a disciple of Jesus is one who follows Jesus or worships him, and one who is being ongoingly changed by him, and as we see in our passage this morning, is one who is joins Jesus on the mission of helping others to do the same. You see, it's a, a mission that Jesus gives all of his followers. See, a disciple, the identity of disciple is one who helps other people become disciples and, and helps make more disciples. You see, in this commission that we have from Jesus, it's, it's a commission that is rooted in, in who is giving it. You see, the commission to make disciples has everything to do with who is giving the command. It has everything to do with who Jesus is. Verse 19 begins with the word, therefore. You see, the foundation of Jesus' command is based on a proclamation that he makes about himself. In the previous verse, he says, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is saying, I am God, I am king, I am Lord, I am the ruler of heaven and earth, I am the king of all things, I have all authority, all of it's mine. You see, and it's in light of this proclamation that Jesus gives the command to go and make disciples. One commentator writes this. He says, Jesus is alive. He is sovereign. Here the Christian mission has its proper starting point in meeting with the risen Jesus, now enthroned as king of all. And on the basis of that authority, Jesus now sends his disciples out to spread his good kingly rule over all nations by making more disciples. You see, but Jesus' commission doesn't just stop with the command to go and make disciples. He gives us a process by which we're to carry out that command. And that process this morning, just briefly, I think, has three parts. Uh, we're to go, to baptize, and to teach. So three parts, go, baptize, and teach. The first part of that process begins, uh, beginning of making disciples, begins with going. Verse 19 begins, therefore, 
go. See, that word go is really important, and, and I don't want to misconstrue what that means this morning. You see, for some of us, that word literally means uh, to pick up everything you have and to go. Uh, for, some of, for some, that's a foreign country. For others, it's a different state. For my wife and I, God multiple times has called us to literally pick up all of our stuff and move to a new place, a new city, so that we might serve him and, and reach people for the sake of the gospel. Uh, many of you moved here to the city of Dubuque to help start this very church. And the reason why you did that is because you felt God calling you and commissioning you to come here so that you might be a part of the mission of making disciples here in our city, here in Dubuque. But I just want to be really clear this morning. The, the call to go and make disciples is not always or even usually about leaving your physical home. You see, at its root, the command to go is about understanding that the identity of a disciple of Jesus is fundamentally about living as someone who is sent. Jesus was God, sent as a missionary to us, and so Jesus' disciples, as his disciples, we imitate him, and we, are, we live as his sent people into the world. You see, making disciples is, is not a task that gets done on a missions trip. Missions trips are good. Foreign missions are incredibly important. I'm not trying to minimize that in any way. But, the, but every disciple of Jesus is called to be a missionary, sent his sent people into the world every day, no matter where you are, in whatever situation or circumstance or relationships you find yourself in. You see that word translated go? It's, it's an active imperative in the, original language, in the original language. It means that the call to go is not a one-time call to go somewhere. It's an ongoing call that we live out every day. It's go as you are going, as you continue to go. See, the mission of making disciples is a foundational part of our new identity as God's people. And so it should be a foundational part of our everyday lives. You see, because it's in the everyday stuff of life that we get the chance to demonstrate the transforming power of the gospel to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers in order that we might get chances to declare the truths about the gospel in our lives. I think Jenny just shared so helpfully this morning about what that looks like to see ourselves as sent into the lives of our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers. Remember in college, I got a chance to share up my faith with my friend Cody, and, and I'll never forget uh, what he told me uh, that night. We were playing video games together, and God opened some opportunities for me to talk with him about my faith, and I'll never forget. I remember he responded after I got the chance to just lay out the gospel for him. He said, I felt like I could listen to what you had to say because your life and your words matched. You see, you see, my friend was watching my life as I lived with him. My life was far from perfect, right? There's a whole lot of things he didn't see, right? He wasn't the, the greatest sleuth of all time, right? <laughs> but I lived with my friend, and I shared life with him and meals with him, and we worked out together, and we played video games together. And in all of that, I was demonstrating the gospel through what I said and how I lived in the everyday stuff of life. You see, the demonstration of the gospel, it led to opportunities for me to declare the gospel to my friends. You see, that's why one of the core values at River City Church is that we want to see ourselves living as missionaries instead of magnets. See, we believe that our primary philosophy of evangelism and disciple-making should be centered on our people thinking and acting like missionaries in the everyday stuff of life. You see, my job is not to create an environment where... Uh, 
where church leaders or programs or events or facilities do the work of ministry for us. Instead, my job is to equip each and every one of you, like we saw last week in Ephesians 4. My job is to equip all of you to live as God sent people in the world every day. I don't know if you've realized this or not, but Sunday mornings here at River City aren't really that flashy, right? Um, and even if we had a ton of money or a huge building or something like that, that wouldn't really change a lot because, because the gathering of God's people for worship is incredibly important. And I give a huge part of my week every week to preparing for our time together and studying God's word and teaching it together, continually helping to make our gathering better. But my goal is not to do ministry in the one hour a week we have together. My goal is to equip you for the 167 other hours this week that you might live as God sent people in the world you see, in my sincere prayer is that God would raise up some of you to go and to leave your physical homes where God might send you, whether that's overseas or to another city or, or to some other place. Maybe uh, that God will raise some of you up to go plant another church in another city so that the people there might get to experience and encounter the good news about the gospel. But I pray just as eagerly that God would call some of you someday to leave the small group that you're in right now and to help plant a new one so that you might make space for people who are not yet a part of this community to, to encounter Jesus through relationships and, and people that you might see yourselves as sent into the world every day. You see, for all of us, the call is to go every day, not just to wait and hope that someone would just see us and ask about Jesus, but, but to live our lives in such a way and in such proximity to others that we would normally and regularly have opportunities to talk about the King who has saved us and whom we serve. And so in order to make disciples, we must first go, must live and see ourselves and live as Jesus sent people into the world. But the next part of the process, Jesus tells us, is that we are to go and to baptize. Verse 19, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now that word baptism, it really, it's all about identity. See, Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And in, in biblical times, names were a really, really big deal. It carried a lot with meaning and history and family and allegiances and, and all that kind of stuff. And so to be baptized into a new name is fundamentally about an identity change. It's, a, it's about getting a new name and a new family and a new father. See, baptism doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't change your status or your standing with God. Instead, it's an act, a public act. It's an announcement of this new identity that you have in him. It's like at the end of the at the end of a wedding. I always, when I, whenever I marry someone, I always, I always at the very end, I, I, I present them and I say, I present to you, Mister and Mrs. So and So, or whoever it is, right? And my presentation of the couple is not the thing that makes them married. Uh, their I do's, their commitment to each other, that's the thing that makes them married. I'm just announcing it. I'm just announcing it uh, for everyone there, their new name and their new identity and their new purpose as a couple together. And like being married, being a disciple of Jesus uh, is something you want other people to know about. It's something that you want other people to see and encounter, but it's also something that you're going to need others to celebrate with you and you're going to need others to help you with. You see, disciples are made in community, and disciples are established in community. Again, that's what Jenny talked about with the, when she talked about her friend and, and being a part of the community and the small group that they had there and how God used that community to help reach them. You see, 
Jesus says to make disciples and to baptize them, to establish them in the new identity that they have. Make sure they know who they are. Make sure that they know that they're my people and that they're my children, my family, because he knows that we're going to need that kind of help if we're going to grow up into being followers of his. And that brings us to the last part of the process that Jesus gives us in carrying out his commands to make disciples. He says to go, to baptize, and then lastly, he says, teach them to obey. Verse 20, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Jesus didn't say to go and make converts. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Matt Chandler notes just helpfully, he says, the goal of our going is not when all is said and done, just to have people say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but rather to have people who with their lives follow him. You see, the command to make disciples is, is never less than the proclamation of the gospel to people who don't know it yet. But the command to make disciples is always more than that. It's never less than that, but it is always more. You see, making disciples encompasses both evangelism and helping people to grow into maturity in Christ. Uh, it's not one or the other. It is both things. And that's really important to know because a lot of times when Christians use that language of making disciples, they're usually referring to one or the other independently of each other. Maybe you grew up in a, in a situation where making disciples was code word for evangelism only, right? We make disciples, people that don't know Jesus. Maybe you grew up in an environment where making disciples was kind of code word for just helping people who are already Christians grow in their following of Jesus. Um, and it just seems that the Bible uses that phrase, the idea of making disciples, to refer to both. It is, it is both things. And while those components of making disciples, whether that's um, proclaiming the gospel to someone who doesn't know yet, or proclaiming the gospel to somebody who needs to keep growing up in faith in it, while they might look different in some places, the proclamation of the gospel is the thing that's at the center of both of those things. We talked about last week how, the, how it's faith in the gospel that saves us, and it's faith in the gospel that keeps growing us. You see, remembering, uh, and as, so as we grow in the gospel, as we grow in our understanding of our great need for Jesus and how greatly Jesus has met our need, it causes us to actually want to obey him. Not just to think that we should obey him and feel guilty when we don't, but to actually long to bring our lives under his good kingly rule and authority. You see, the order of that process of making disciples is not an accident. You see, people don't become disciples by obeying his commands in order to win his acceptance. See, Jesus' disciples joyfully do what he has commanded them to do as a result of God's transforming work in their hearts because they love him and they want to respond to him. You see, and just as our obedience to Jesus' commands didn't earn us God's acceptance in the first place, our obedience to his commands doesn't maintain how he sees us either. You see, we don't obey Jesus' command in order to one day hear the words, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. We obey even though we have not been the good and faithful servant, because even though that is true, Jesus has treated us as his good and faithful servants. You see, Jesus was the good and faithful servant, and we have his status and his standing. And so because that is the case, but it shouldn't be, it motivates us and it fills our hearts with a love and a response to him. We're seen already, as 1 Peter 1 says, as his obedient children. You see, and that incredible truth not only gives you the desire to obey, but it gives you the power to obey as well. It gives you the power to join Jesus in the increase of his rule and his kingdom in your life and graciously in the lives of others.
But the mission of making disciples is hard. It's messy. Oftentimes, it's messy. You see, sometimes people are hard to love and serve, and you don't want to do it. And uh, just, just look in the mirror, right? Sometimes you're, you're hard to love and serve, right? The mission of making disciples is, is not just about others. It's about you, too, because God wants you to grow. And that's why it's our firm belief here at River City that, that, um, that joining Jesus on the mission of making disciples is one of the best and most effective ways for us to keep growing in our following of Jesus. Like I said before, oftentimes when people think about making disciples, they associate with that just evangelism or, or just helping people grow in maturity. And sometimes people believe the lie that like, well, God's called me to do evangelism and, and you to do growing up and helping people mature. And, and I'll just be in charge of this spot over here and you can be in charge of this spot over here. But that's not how the commission works. See, all of us are to play a role in both of those, in both of those spheres of influence, in both of the, the roles of making disciples. And it looks different for all of us, exactly what that looks like. But, but the way that we grow up into maturity is to become more like Jesus. And Jesus was God sent on mission to us. And so seeing ourselves as sent on mission to people, both that don't know Jesus and, and in order to as well help those grow up in him, is part of what it looks like to become more and more like him. You see, I just need you to hear this. There, there aren't any people that God has saved in order for them to have a personal relationship with him and not affect anyone else. There isn't anyone God has saved for that purpose. You see, God's called all of us into a likeness of Jesus. It's not just his character, it's his purpose as well. You see, and a huge part of the reason why we believe that actively engaging in the mission of making disciples is an essential part of the spiritual growth of everyone who tries to follow him is because the commission to make disciples is the thing that almost more than anything else keeps us dependent on him. You see, Jesus, is, which makes Jesus' words, uh, final words, all that more important. Verse 20, he gives us a promise. He says, surely I am with you. To always, to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus knew that the mission of, that of the calling of his followers was not going to be an easy one. He knew, in fact, that it was an impossible mission, impossible without him. But he doesn't send us out on our own. No, instead he promises, as, as his words, final words speak, to go with us, to go ahead of us even. And so if we're going to obey the command, we're going to need to cling tightly to Jesus' promise to always be with us. You see, there will be days where the mission of making disciples is difficult, where it will feel costly, where we will not want to say yes to it, where, where, where we'll want to shrink back, where we'll want to hide and Jesus says that the key to finishing all of that is just to know that he is with us. That he's with us. And so we hold firmly to the truth that the risen, ruling, reigning king of all is the one who both sends us and goes with us each and every day. And so even though the mission is hard and messy and there are days we will want to quit, the mission of making disciples is life-giving and is joyful because it's a chance for us to remind ourselves about the truths of the gospel, which we need and everyone needs each and every day. A while back, I was uh, working on memorizing Psalm 126.3 with my kids in the mornings. And a lot of times in the morning, we'll try to work on memorizing a verse together. And, and um, Psalm 126.3, it says this. It says, the Lord has done great things for us, and so we are glad. The Lord has done great things for us, 
so we are glad. You see, the gospel is the greatest news that Jesus has done the greatest thing of all for us. That he lived the life that we should have lived and that he died the death that we deserve to die. And he did all of that in our place for you. He absorbed God's just wrath for your sin and your rebellion. And he traded places with you so that he might receive your punishment and and the just punishment that you were due. And instead you might receive his status as a beloved son of God. You see, and in light of all that Jesus has done, we are glad. And in our gladness, we give our lives back to the one who has given himself for us. And remember that Jesus pursued us, giving everything so that he might redeem and renew and make us his family. And so we long to join him in that mission with others so that others might come to know him as we do, so that even when it costs and even when it is hard, the motivations behind the mission of making disciples is out of a joy that comes from being made known and pursued by him. All the while, we cling to the promise that Jesus is with us. It is his power that's saving sinners like you and me, and it is his power that is sending us out as his kingdom people into the world. And so every week, we take communion. And the reason why we're doing that is because we're celebrating and remembering what makes us glad. We are celebrating and remembering the reason which we have hope, the reason which we have life. You see, it's his body and his blood that were broken and shed for us so that we might be cleansed and we might be made new. And so we say, Jesus, you have done great things for us. And so we are very glad. And so we gladly come to remember and to celebrate him remembering our need for him, remembering how greatly he has met our need for him. We come as his disciples, as his adopted people, asking that he would empower us every day to live in light of our new identity and our new purpose as his followers. And that through us, he might graciously extend his good kingly rule everywhere, all over, to the ends of the earth, So there might be disciples in every nation. We do that for our good and for his great glory. You see, communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to remember the person and the work of Jesus. To remind ourselves of all that we have to be glad about so that we might, our hearts might be full of love and joy and gratitude for him that overflows in a life lived for him. In a life spent de- demonstrating and declaring the good news about who he is. So this morning, as, as we sing and as, as we worship, as we remember the gospel together in song, if you have put your trust in Jesus, then if he's your savior and if, if he is your king, if you are a disciple of his, then, then whenever you are ready, go back and take communion. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to be a disciple of Jesus. But if not, if that's not where you're at this morning, if you are here this morning, you're still figuring out who Jesus is or what he means to you, I just need you to know you are welcome here. This church was in fact started so that you might be able to be here, that you might be able to find out who he is and what he's like and what it means to follow him. But I encourage you this morning to hold off on taking communion. Talk with God. Be honest with him. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk with you about it. 
Communion is about remembering all that we have to be glad for. As we sing, as we talk with God, tell him how thankful you are for all that he has done. Tell him how glad his work has made you. Or ask him that he would show you all that he has done for you so that you might be glad in him. Ask him to help you to remember and to live in light of his final words, not out of duty or obligation or out of guilt or out of shame, but out of joy. Seeing that he, the great king of all, came to pursue you. In love he pursued you, and in love he sends you out to pursue others for his namesake. Ask him to remind you of the incredible honor and privilege it is to be his kingdom ambassadors And ask him to remind you of his promise to be with you each and every day. Let that fuel your days and your weeks and your years and your life. Given to him. Lived for him. For his name. For his glory. And for your good. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful to get to come before you. Not just as your people, but King Jesus, as your commissioned people. God, there is nothing about us that deserves to be your your favored and sent people into the world. God, but you've loved us and pursued us. And you have graciously, in the midst of our mess, given us the mission of joining you and helping others to find you. And helping others to grow up in their faith in you. And so, Jesus, thank you that you go with us. Thank you that you don't just commission us, but you go with us every day into the midst of that. And so, God, we humbly ask you that you would fill us with great joy in you. God, in response to remembering all that you have done, that there would be a gladness that overflows in our hearts, overflows into a life lived for you, and a life that helps others to live for you as well. King Jesus, we can't do it on our own. God, thank you that you go with us every day. Help us to be your people sent into the world. God, for your glory and our good, we pray. Amen.